welcome to Digging In with Missouri Farm Bureau. I'm Eric Bull, Director of Public Affairs. This first week of March, we have spent the first couple days of the week going all around the state to host some flood meetings to help people prepare for what may be coming down the river in early 2020. We did this in coordination with the Missouri Levy and Drainage District Association, the Coalition to Protect the Missouri River, the Missouri Department of Natural Resources, and the Missouri Department of Agriculture. These meetings went really well, but we wanted to share the information beyond just the people who were in the room. So we are going to deliver to you some audio of the presentations that were given at those meetings. First, you're going to hear from some of the people at the Rockport location that was on Monday morning. And then you're going to hear a clip from the U.S. Army Corps of Engineers that was at the second day because we thought that they offered relevant information at both days that was a little bit different each time. And then we'll go back to the rest of the presentation from the original day at Rockport. So I think that you're going to get a lot of really good information about what to expect in the upcoming spring season and what is happening with the river. And uh, we are going to continue to watch what's going on with the river forecast and host more meetings if necessary. Thank you all for coming. Uh, my name is Blake Hurst and I live over at Tarkio. I've told these guys that Ashton County is the uh, actually the perfect location for a lot more meetings than we get to hold up here and they've agreed. Uh, they all love to drive up here from Jeff City. So I said, well, uh, we'll try to get that, make that happen. But we thank you all for coming. Um, this is uh, uh, a time of year and a time in this flood recovery that uh, there's a lot of questions that are still unanswered. Uh, I don't know how many of them will get answered today. What I do hope is we come up with some good questions. Um, we have a group of uh, both organizations and agencies that have worked together to put together these meetings. And I'm going to make a couple thank yous and introductions, of course, Missouri Farm Bureau. And that's our uh, film crew over there. And uh, we will, Joe is going to, and Eric will post this on, uh, on Facebook, social media. So if you would like to go back and see, see, see it again, or if you have someone that wasn't able to attend uh, and that would like to, uh, to watch it on uh, social media, it will be up there. Um, but the Missouri Department of Agriculture, we have Chris Quinkline. Uh, with the where's Chris there he is okay uh, has helped put this together Tom Waters who's the chair of the Missouri River or the drainage districts and levy districts the state of Missouri thank you Tom uh, and uh, we're glad to see Tom he's the go-to guy for a lot of us on the Missouri River and has been for many many years I mean he started when he's really young I didn't want I'm not I'm not I didn't say yeah 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 um, we have the Missouri Department of Natural Resources, and Drew, I think, uh, wants to talk a little bit about some stuff that's going on in Jeff City. Thanks, Blake, and thank you guys for, for being here. I'm Drew Bunton. I'm the Deputy Director of the Missouri Department of Natural Resources, and um, look forward to hearing uh, the questions you all have. Governor Parson, as many of you know, um, early on last year, uh, formed a, a, a group that includes uh, many of the organizations in this room, including the Farm Bureau and uh, Levy and Drainage District Association, a number of different agencies, representatives of local government. And what he's really interested in doing is um, not only having better coordination across multiple state and federal agencies in terms of how we uh, recover from this flood event, but really looking at how do we do some things different. Um, you know, we tend to, to go back and 
try and put things uh, right back like they were, and we want to support that when that's what people want to do. But if there are ways we can improve our infrastructure to be able to withstand these kind of events better and learn from what we've seen in the past, uh, the governor's very interested in, in, in uh, having the state support the ability to do that and definitely encouraging us to uh, be able to try and help move forward uh, improvements to our system uh, protection and so just look forward to the discussion today and and appreciate uh, you guys being here today all right thank you drew and the final final uh, group that has been involved in putting these two meetings together is a coalition uh, to protect the Missouri River and they'll be joining us later on in our tour uh, we're going from here to st. Joe and then tomorrow we're going to do I guess Brunswick and uh, over at Rhineland, uh, so so trying to hit all the areas that were affected by, by last year's floodings. We're also glad, very happy to have uh, Joe Hegman uh, with Congressman Graves' office. Joe, if you wave, uh, we've got uh, Brant Shields with Senator Blunt's office. Thank you, Brant, for being here, and Elizabeth Johnson uh, with Senator Holly's office. Elizabeth, thank you for being here. So we're going to. Uh, I'm going to introduce the speakers in the order that they will speak. So guys, pay attention. And uh, they, will, uh, they will make a short presentation. What we'd really like to do, though, uh, is hear what's on your mind. And I hope we've got some expertise up here that can answer your questions. Uh, what we will do, Farm Bureau will do, is we're taking notes. Uh, we'll probably get a letter put together after these four meetings, and we'll uh, be in contact uh, with the people that uh, maybe can answer the questions if we don't get them answered at the meetings. So, so we'll be working the, the issue long after these meetings are over. Uh, the first speaker is going to be Judd Kneven uh, with the Corps of Engineers, who many, most of you know, I'm sure. Uh, Paul Gallagher will be next, and he'll be speaking for the RMA, uh, talking about insurance. Uh, we've got Corey Lesher, who will be talking about uh, FSA programs. Uh, Brandon Veers with the uh, NRCS. And then uh, Drew uh, is the Deputy Director. Uh, Drew Button is the Deputy Director of the Missouri DNR. And uh, he'll be speaking on that uh, agency's behalf. And also, uh, we weren't able to uh, secure anybody from either SEMA or FEMA. Uh, but Drew will be hopefully able to answer any questions that you might have about your dealings with those two organizations. So with that, we'll turn it over to Judd. And uh, away we go. Uh, good morning. Everybody hear me? All right. So uh, I'm responsible. I'm the emergency management chief for the Kansas City District. and. Uh, So it's kind of like uh, Brunswick. Uh, one time I spoke and they gave me a microphone and it had about a four-foot cord. So I, I stood there and talked like that all night. Then they ran me out of town on a rail. So, but it's okay. Sorry about that. So uh, I'm the emergency man management chief for the Kansas City District. My area of responsibility really starts around the Corning, Missouri area, and then I'm responsible for all the levees primarily on the Missouri River uh, downstream to almost St. Louis. And then when you get up into Atchison County, we talk Omaha District. So, and there's lots of differences in the systems, and you all know that. When you get up into Atchison and you go north, they're almost all primarily federal levies, congressionally authorized, designed and constructed by the Corps of Engineers, and then they're locally owned, operated, and maintained. When they're repaired, it's 100% federal. The local sponsor has to provide the lands, easements, and right-of-way necessary to repair and then to provide the borrow. And then once we get downstream 
of Atchison County, most of our systems are non-federal. So they're smaller levy systems. They were designed and constructed locally. They're locally owned, operated, and maintained. They agree to abide by our operation and maintenance criteria to become active in the program. And then when they're damaged by floods, we repair those at a cost share, 80% federal, 20% non-federal. And they're still responsible locally for the lands easements right away necessary to construct and the borrow. So that's the overview of the program. So, yeah, awesome. Yeah, that's even worse. But, uh, see if I can harmonize with myself. It, uh, so it's not lost on anyone uh, how consequential this flood event is and continues to be uh, for everyone in the Missouri River Basin. Uh, repairs are, are progressing. Uh, Omaha District is moving to make interim repairs, so they're closing breaches. They still got a long ways to go to fix their levees. They've spent a couple hundred million dollars so far closing breaches. Uh, their estimated need is $1.6 billion. Uh, in contrast, in the Kansas City District, I need about $80 million uh, total uh, to repair levees. And in Kansas City District, we had 119 uh, requests for assistance. Uh, we're going to have about 72 total projects out of that. And currently, uh, we've advertised 26 projects and we've awarded six contracts. So we're progressing slower than they do in Omaha, but the, the reality of that is, is that if I try to do interim repairs or temporary repairs on non-fed levies, locally you all share in that cost. And so it increases the cost significantly and it just takes our resources away from making the permanent repairs. So we try to make permanent repairs instead of temporary repairs. We did make a couple of emergency measures in Holt County. They're at Mill Creek and Big Tarkio. Uh, we put about 544,000 tons of stone in there. And now we're preparing for this year's flood season. And honestly, flood season's every day of the year. It just, there is no real season anymore. And the current forecast in the upper basin is for about 36 million acre feet of runoff. The same time last year, we were estimating 25 million acre feet of runoff and we hit 60.9 million acre feet of runoff. So we weren't really good at forecasting that. In fact, we sucked last year trying to figure out what the end was going to look like. But every month last year, the, the runoff was at more than average. And in some cases, it was two and three times the, the average runoff for a given month, except for October. And going into this year in the upper basin, we're still seeing runoff, monthly runoff that exceeds two to three times average. Uh, the 36 million acre feet, if it were to materialize, would be, it's 141% of normal and would be in the upper decile, so it would be a top 10 runoff year. The key for most of us down here, though, is that it's driven by localized heavy rainfall, and we have to have a lot of water to make things really bad. But going into this spring, it's going to be an elevated flood risk because we still have so many levees open, and then we'll just have to see how the precipitation materializes over the next several months. For comparison, if you look at uh, 2019 to 1993, we were a tenth of a million acre feet from, ex from meeting the 1993 record for total runoff in the basin. So last year we had about 60.9 million in the upper basin, which is Sioux City upstream, and then Sioux City downstream, we exceeded 90 million acre feet of runoff. And that's all localized heavy rain. So 
last year was a very bad year, and we're hoping for a little bit better this year. So that's what I got for you. Thank you. Hey, Jack. Yep. That they're repaired. They are not repaired, right? So they came in and a lot of it they dredge filled. Uh, they used a lot of rock to contain the sand, but they still got to come back in and cover the cross section uh, with uh, uh, impervious material. And that's going to be challenging to find all the impervious material uh, they need. But they have a long ways to go. They, they spent between two to four hundred million dollars so far, and if they have that one point six billion dollar need, it's going right back into those same levees. So they're a long way from being repaired. Do you, do you think they have half their level protection? Uh, they would they they should have been building them back to about a twenty five at least a twenty five year level of protection, and I exist and height wise anyway. And I, I suspect in many cases they exceeded that. Hey, I'm Mike Doolin. I'm from the Army Corps of Engineers, Kansas City District. I'm an emergency management specialist there. I've been uh, working in emergency management for two years, and I think the flood of 2019 basically started on my one-year anniversary in the emergency management shop, so getting tossed into the frying pan is the best way to learn, I guess. But uh, I'm going to talk about three things today. Uh, I'll talk a little bit about the flood of 2019 and our response efforts. Uh, I'll talk about levee rehab, and then I'll talk about the uh, spring 2020 flood outlook and what we're doing to, to prepare for that. Uh, I don't want to spend a lot of time dwelling on the 2019 flood. I think everybody in this room knows it was a bad year for flooding, and bad is an understatement. It was unprecedented and historic flooding. Some of the worst I think we've seen since 1993 uh, from a damage perspective and from the amount of water that went through the system. Uh, we really got hit with two events. Uh, starting in March, you know, we had the bomb cyclone come through, rain fell on snowpack, the ground was frozen, it created a tremendous amount of runoff uh, that all went into the system, and a lot of that was unregulated flow that came down and just destroyed things through Iowa, Nebraska, uh, the northeastern part of Kansas, Missouri, down through Kansas City, and then a little east of Kansas City. So when we got through the March event, it looked like this part of the country here was going to escape with just a couple bruises, right? But then May happened, and it rained and rained and rained, and then it rained again. We had nine of the 18 flood control reservoirs in the Kansas City District hit record levels, and we saw multiple gauges along the Missouri River hit record levels, too. Uh, between March and May combined, we had 66 levees that participate in the Corps' PL-8499 program overtop. 45 of those levee systems subsequently breached in one or more locations. Uh, two of those systems were federal levee units. One of them was uh, R-500 in Donovan County, Kansas. And then the other one was right here near Brunswick, uh, 246. That's something you don't see every day. We're, we don't ever expect federal levees to fail. and so. When that happens, I mean, it's just, you know it's unprecedented at that point. Um, so our EOC was activated for 279 days, making it the longest flood event in the district's history. Uh, we didn't see the river fully drop out of flood stage until December of 2019. So it was really a long event, event excuse me. So the duration and the magnitude of this flood is something we hadn't seen in, in, in quite a few years. 
Um, all right, that's all I'm going to say about the flood of 2019, other than I will a few more things. Uh, so our response effort to the 2019 flood, we were sending out field teams uh, constantly. Uh, we issued 1.6 million sandbags. Uh, we issued over a mile of HESCO barrier. Uh, we have 25 pumps uh, that we have at uh, field offices throughout the districts. I think all 25 of those got issued at one point or another. And then we had uh, three sandbag, automatic sandbag machines going up and down the river trying to support local flood fight efforts. And then we had three gravity-fed <clears throat> gravity sandbag machines that we also dispatched. Uh, so it was a big response effort on our end. Um, and going into 2020, uh, we'll be here to support you in those flood fight efforts as well. Uh, so from all that flooding in 2019, uh, we're looking now at one of the largest levee rehabilitation efforts that we've seen since 1993. Uh, we've received 119 requests for assistance. A lot, a lot of those are duplicate requests, both from the March event and the May event. Uh, so when it when it when you come when it, when we boil it all down, uh, we're probably looking at about 70 overall levee rehabilitation projects. So we'll bundle some requests for segmented levee systems. In some instances where it makes sense, we'll bundle the contracts to try to help make things go faster. That's why you got 119 requests for assistance, but only 70 projects because they'll be we'll be combining some. Um, but from that, so in the, in the levy rehab process, first thing we got to do is we got to put a document together called a project information report. And what that document is, it's a planning document uh, that contains a damage assessment of the levy system, uh, contains a few repair options, and then a, a couple cost estimates. So we'll submit those to our division headquarters for approval. And once they're approved, approved we can request funding to pay for those projects. Uh, right now, uh, we've submitted uh, over 60 of those project information reports to our division headquarters, all of which have been approved. And the federal money, the federal funding for those projects has all been received. So from a funding perspective, we're looking really good. Now, on the non-federal levy systems that participate in our program, there is that 80-20 cost share uh, like Drew was talking about. So the local levy district's responsible for coming up with that 20% cost share. The state of Missouri stepped in to help out with that a bit. Uh, and we're, we're working with the levy districts, to the non-federal levy sponsors, to get that money from them. And for the most part, that's going pretty smooth. So we're getting those dollars in. Uh, once the money's there, then we're able to advertise those contracts uh, and, and then finally award them after we get bids back. So right now, levy rehab, uh, over 60 projects approved. Uh, we've got, uh, I have this written on my paper here. Every time I write something down on paper, it makes me a liar because the numbers change on my drive out here this morning. But uh, we've got six or eight contracts awarded already. Uh, we've got around 30 contracts advertised, and every week that's going to keep going up. And I expect uh, to see a, a lot of contracts getting advertised here over the next couple weeks. And the overall goal is to have all our levy rehab contracts advertised by this summer of 2020. Now, that being said, given the extent and the magnitude of the damages that we're seeing this year, we're still looking at, a, at possibly a two-year levy rehabilitation effort. That doesn't mean it's going to take two years to fix every single one of them. Of course, a lot of them are going to get repaired before that, but there's always a couple outliers uh, that, that take longer. Now, whether that's because uh, we're trying to work through a real estate easement uh, or construction easement, maybe the levy district has an absentee landowner, they're having a hard time getting the paperwork signed. Those are just an example of you know, some of the issues that could come up. Uh, but we've got more people in the district working with our levy sponsors this year, helping them acquire the proper documentation, get their finance in order, get the funding in order, 
than we ever have. So we're doing everything we can to make this a, as painless as possible in the levy districts uh, and get construction started. So uh, that's all I'll say about levy rehab for right now. I'm sure I missed a few things, but I want to leave time for you guys to ask questions at the end. Uh, all right, so the 2020 spring flood outlook. Has everybody been checking the National Weather Service webpage frequently? I know I have. Uh, they are releasing three spring flood outlooks this year. Uh, the first one they released on February 13th. Uh, the second one I think they released last Thursday. And then they'll release another one uh, here in the middle of March, I think around the 12th or the 15th. Uh, but in all of those flood outlooks, they're calling for above normal chances of flooding in far eastern Kansas and above normal chances for flooding in the entire state of Missouri. Now, what that's gonna look like exactly, your guess is as good as mine on that. But I'll, I'll talk a little bit about the snowpack in the plains and the mountain snowpack. So in March last year, plain snowpack's what got us, right? Uh, this year, plain snowpack in the eastern Dakotas is a little above average, or actually it's 141% it's, it's average, meaning it's 41% above normal. And I think the snow water equivalent in a lot of those areas in eastern South Dakota, North Dakota, and Minnesota uh, is around three to five inches of snow water equivalent. So that doesn't concern me a tremendous amount right now. I'm definitely a little worried about it because the ground's so saturated, there's not much room for that water to absorb. Uh, however, if it melts off slowly over a matter of 10 to 12 days, give or take, it is warming up there in the Dakotas this week and a little bit last week as well. If it, if it melts off slowly and enters the system slowly, it might not be major impacts down here, right? If it melts off in a day or two and gets rain on top of it, that's not gonna be a good situation. That's gonna enter the system fast and could cause some, some serious flooding, right? Um, with the mountain snowpack in Montana, uh, that's right around normal right now. And those big three flood control reservoirs on the main stem Missouri River, uh, they were able to get all of their excess flood water out of the system last year, I think in December, they got back to, back to even. So all that room for, to capture mountain snowpack or mountain runoff uh, is available. So adequate flood control storage in the main stem reservoirs. And to that point, uh, the Kansas City District reservoirs, we have 18 of them uh, in the district. Uh, we've got over 97% of our flood control storage available there too. For, so from a reservoir perspective, we're looking pretty decent right now, today on March 3rd. So if it changes tomorrow, we'll know then. But uh, all right, so that's plain snowpack, mountain snowpack. Uh, really, I think our primary concern out here for flooding is gonna be localized heavy rainfall and widespread heavy rainfall. Because especially in the Brunswick area, you got three major flood sources here, the Grand River, the Sheridan, and the Missouri. So you get hit by a lot of, you know, a lot of different angles. Uh, but I think going through the spring, you know, if, if uh, we get through these next few weeks here and the, and the plain snowpack doesn't cause, cause us a lot of headaches, uh, it's definitely gonna be the localized heavy rainfall and widespread heavy rainfall that we gotta watch out for. Uh, so if we get into another flood situation in the Missouri River, uh, just so you all know, the Kansas City District, we're well prepared to support like we did last year. Uh, we're training up our field teams, the guys and gals that we send out in the field to support the communities and levy districts. I'm holding a training session for them at 8 a.m. tomorrow morning uh, to get them ready to go in the event that uh, we have to deploy folks out into the field. Uh, from a flood fight supply standpoint, We've got 3.6 million sandbags in the district available uh, at the request of 
local communities, the state, levy districts. Uh, all of our sandbag filling machines are available. We brought more HESCO barrier into the district this year, so we've got 10,000 feet of HESCO barrier available. Uh, we've got 25 pumps available. Most of those are PTO pumps, so if you call the Corps of Engineers and you need a pump, we don't have those big 12-inch dry prime diesel pumps on hand ready to send out to you. That's something we can lease, though, but it does take a bit of time to get those on site because we have to go through a contracting process to get them. We try to get those as quickly as we can. So one of the things we're working on, so pump, pumping was a big issue last year. Uh, we're trying to get a pump BPA, that's a blanket purchase agreement in place. So that's where we identify a vendor that has adequate supply on hand that when we call them, they say, hey, we need five pumps. They have those pumps there and we could dispatch them much more rapidly. So that's something we're working on, an improvement we're trying to make this year from last year. Because last year we had uh, some delays in getting pumps out in the field and I don't like waiting. Uh, I'm sure you don't either. Uh, other things on flood preparedness. I will say so uh, on 20 May at Napoleon, Missouri, we're hosting a flood fight training. Uh, that'll be open to the public. We'll invite our levy districts as well. Uh, it's a, usually it's a full day session. So in the morning, uh, we go through like a four hour briefing. We talk about flood fight techniques, how to organize, uh, things like that. Uh, we talk about uh, failure modes of levee systems and just uh, go over the basics of, uh, of flood protection structures and then temporary emergency measures that people can put in place to protect themselves from flooding. And in the afternoon, we do a hands-on session where we actually show folks how to build a sandbag levee, how to set up PESCO barrier, uh, teach them how to operate our automatic sandbag machines and things like that. And then we're also going to try to host another uh, flood fight training in New Haven, Missouri, which is the same kind of thing. Levee districts are invited, uh, local communities will be invited to come out to that. Uh, we haven't set a date for that one in New Haven yet, uh, but we're working on that. All right. I think that's all I have. I'm sure I forgot a lot of things I was going to say, but uh, like I said, leave plenty of time for you guys to ask us questions. So thank you. Good morning. My name is Paul Gallagher. I'm a senior risk management specialist with the Topeka Regional Office of Risk Management Agency. Uh, Colin Olson, the director of the office, is right over here in front. Uh, so if you have any questions, one of us will should be able to answer it. Um, <laughs> Risk management, for those of you who don't know, Risk Management Agency is the agency that manages the federal crop insurance program. It's private insurance companies are the ones who sell it to producers, and private insurance companies uh, have the agents and the loss adjusters to uh, operate the program. Uh, how are we doing here? This is a disclaimer. We have disclaimers on, on our information, but... Uh, we were asked to come in and give a presentation on the uh, um, 2019 flood event uh, and breach levees and how it's going to impact the 2020 crop year. As many of you know, uh, we have a breach levee statement in Atchison County and Holt County and a lot of counties up and down the Missouri River. And so the, breach, the status of the breach levees uh, will impact crop insurance rates uh, for the 2020 crop year for those affected by the breach. The little re recap, you guys know about this, but in March, 2020, in March 2019, the bomb cyclone hit northeast Nebraska, the bomb, it, which created extensive flooding along the Missouri River and its tributaries. That breached levees primarily north of Kansas City. We managed, we, our office, the Topeka Regional Office, I should go back, we, we managed Missouri, Kansas, Nebraska, and Colorado. So on the other side of our, the Missouri, uh, state of Missouri, the Mississippi River also flooded and breached several levees of northeast Missouri. 
May, June 2019, high water came again, flooding came again, went through the breaches that created in March, but it also breached several levees downstream of Kansas City as well, between Kansas City and St. Louis. It also breached several levees on, Missouri, on, on Mississippi River up and down uh, north and south of St. Louis. So it's been a fairly extensive uh, damaging event. In our, in the, five, it, the breach levees affected five states, uh, Missouri, Kansas, uh, Nebraska, Iowa and Illinois, all told about 100 levee systems were breached, affecting flooding about 500,000 acres in those five states. And as many of you can imagine, Missouri is the hardest hit. About 80% of the damaged acres are in Missouri. And just as a point, Iowa, uh, we have a regional office in St. Paul that manages our Iowa office, and we have a regional office in Springfield, Illinois, which manages the Illinois. And so. Uh, Again, Kansas, our Topeka Regional Office, we manage Missouri, Kansas, and Nebraska, and as you can see, it's been fairly extensively hit. Crop insurance indemnities for the state of Missouri for 2019. For just the flood indemnities, we've paid out what's at about $98 million, or $93 million, just for flood indemnities, which is by far and away the highest in the state, of, the highest in the nation. If we add in another category of indemnities called excessive moisture, between flood and excessive moisture, about $425 million was paid out for the 2019 uh, flood event. As many of you know, uh, crop insurance rates, crop insurance rates reflect the risk associated with growing crops in that particular area. And along the Missouri River, we have high risk areas. And those high risk areas are to account for that, that added risk of flooding along the Missouri River. The additive premium rates are associated with matching the risk, the, matching the rates associated with growing crops in that area. So rates reflect risk, and that's true for all crops in our region, all crops in all counties. Now, a lot of the rates along the Missouri River, uh, we've developed high-risk areas, and those, that's where we tie the additive rates associated with that. In counties, several counties like Holt County, Atchison County, there are multiple high-risk areas, and each high-risk area has a different rate based on the flooding associated, past flooding associated with that land. Uh, it's also tied to the levy, the, the levees in that area as in terms of overtopping. So if a levee has an overtopping height that may have overtopped three or four times over the last 30 or 40 years, that'll have run rate, which will be different than the rate on the unprotected side of that levee, which may flood several times since then. So the, usually the highest rate in the county is gonna be the, that rate between the river and the levee. And there'll be other subcategories or, or sub-high risk areas on the protected side of the levee. But when the levees breached, that changed everything. When the levees breached, the classification system we had on the actuarial documents is no longer reflective because the, the breach changed the risk associated with the land behind that levee. That, that land now has the same risk associated with the risk on the unprotected side of the levee, if you can follow that. And so that's why, uh, so our actuarial documents today reflect the levy system or the high risk area that typically happens year in, year out, meaning the levies are fixed, the levies are protect, offering protection. When the levies breached, it changed how we, we manage risk. And we understand that levies are being fixed on a day-to-day -day basis. So when a levy gets fixed, the risk goes back to the way it was. When levees are still open, the risk is still, is still exposed. And so we're, we put in a breach levy statement to account for that risk. If 
the breach levy statement on all the actuarial documents back in November basically states that if the levy is repaired by a certain date, sales closing date, earliest plant date, and our area earliest plant date for corn is April. If it's, if it's repaired by then, then the rates will go back to the way it is on the actuarial documents, meaning you'll get the rates you had in the past, 2019, 2018, and so forth. But if that breach is not fixed, what's going to happen is that you'll get the highest rate in the county. The highest rate in the county is on that unprotected side of the levy. You'll get exposed to that rate if it's not, if it's not, if it's not fixed by that date. We've been using this statement off and on for, well, we've been using the statement every time there's a breach levy, uh, basically for the better part of 15 or 20 years. What's new this year is that language in the red. The, the top part of the language is, is the standard language. We added the, the language in the bottom, which has two key elements to it. One of them is a partial repair. If the levy is partially repaired, meaning not to full height, had it been in the past, but maybe a height a little bit lesser, then we will account for that in our actuarial and the rate you gets charged you. You won't get charged the highest rate in the county, but then again, you won't get charged what you got charged last year. It'll be something higher, some rate in between. We're also requiring certification of these levies, meaning that if the levy's been repaired, either to the lesser height or to the full height, we need certification from a, an engineer that tells us that levy's back and ready to go. Now, for the levies that are associated with the Corps of Engineers that Judd manages and Omaha manages and so forth, that um, that levy, uh, we have good rapport with these agencies, with the core districts. And we have four core districts in our area, Omaha, Kansas City, St. Louis, and Rock Island. And so we have good rapport going back and forth and finding out when levies have been fixed. And we'll record that in our documents. But it's the private levies that we're, if the private levy is repaired, we are gonna need, that private levy owner will need to have a certification for a professional engineer that, that tells us that levy has been repaired to prior heights or to, it's ready to good to go, that we can count for it. So those are, that's a key change in that uh, breach levy statement. These are the counties in which we applied the breach levy statement in our area. We don't have Iowa listed there, we don't have Illinois listed there because they're not in our region, but this is just our region right here. About 33 counties have the breach levy statement. Applying the statement for any, levy, for any repair to the breach levy system, the Topeka Regional Office must receive certification from the U.S. Army Corps of Engineers, and that's for the Corps levies, or uh, from an engineer, from a private engineer. These are the private levies. Again, we've got good rapport with the Corps of Engineers, and so we go back and forth with them. We communicate with them via email or being phone, however it works out. Uh, for private levy systems, the insurance company or the agent will need to provide us a written statement that says this levy has been fixed. Uh, as the sales closing date approaches, we will notify insurance companies and breach levies of the breach levy status via informational memos. We've posted two informational memorandums already on February 14th and February 26th, which identify the breach levies in the state of Missouri. We've posted it on our website. We'll let insurance companies know it. And then there's a another element of the breach levy statement about damaged soils. Insurance companies will need to make a determination if damaged soils have been restored, which is done preceding any claim. We have additional information of that on our frequently asked questions document. I put some in the back table back there. It's also posted on our website, what, what we mean by damaged soils and what's gonna to take to repair it. Applying the statement regarding temporary repairs, uh, 
for temporary interim repairs requirements are RMA received notification from either the Corps of Engineers for Corps levies or for private levies assigned and sealed certification from a professional engineer that the levy has been that the, the, the levy has been repaired to as a temporary basis and at what level that temporary basis was um, once we receive that information on a private levy for instance or a core levy we'll be able to apply that we'll be able to calculate a rate and apply that rate to all the land behind that levy written agreements will not be necessary we'll be able to do it automatically the information we'll need from a private engineer on these private levies will basically help us calculate that rate one it will be a signed and sealed certification from the from the engineer that's saying this levy works it's been repaired it'll tell us the information we need to be able to calculate that rate again it's the insurance companies or the private it's the insurance companies or the agents can provide that information to us we need one certification per per levy not one certification per producer just one certification per levy and we'll be able to apply that rate as an example of breach levies in 2019 many of you know in Atchison that L550 was breached uh, it was breached in March 2019 there were seven breaches on it uh, uh, the Corps of Engineers basically stated the breaches have been closed we've been working with the Omaha district and communicating with the Omaha district as to what exactly that closure means uh, that the level of protection what level of protection has been restored uh, we are working with them we expect to talk to them again we talked to them late last week we'll talk to them again early mid, mid this week to get a little more information from them uh, we have the 1130 breach levy statement for spring planted crops put on there. The rate behind the levy will reflect the breach with the lowest level of protection provided the applicable statement criteria has been met. So if there's seven breaches on it and you got one breach that all, maybe six of them are repaired to full height but one of them hasn't been, that one that hasn't been will be determined what the rate is behind that levy. And then once we make that determination we'll apply that calculated rate to all the acreage behind that levy which is about 30,000 acres or so as I mentioned I led to earlier uh, we issue informational memorandums I put the latest one we issued last week on the back table for Missouri these informational memorandums um, we issued one on 14th and 26 and we'll continue to update them through the earliest plant date the earliest plant date for corn here is in early April uh, they identify the breach levies, the status of the repairs. The, the att attached to the memos uh, are, will be maps, or are maps that identify the affected acreage. Basically, this is the interior part of the memo. This identifies the breach levies. We have three categories which we identify. One, levies that have not been repaired, levies that have been repaired to prior status, meaning they're good to go, and then levies that are temporarily repaired. And the levies that are temporarily repaired, those are the ones we'll need to calculate a new rate with. We'll also issue maps, and this is the map of Atchison County. Uh, we identify the breach levy areas. Uh, basically, these maps will, will take the place of the current maps in the, in the actual information browser. So the rate there in the middle between L550, uh, it's got a big B in the middle. That means that's going to be the highest rate in the county until we pull that, until that levy's been fixed or certified to been fixed. These are the levies that we've been certified repaired to prior specifications. Uh, most of them are in the northeast of Missouri. Then we got a couple in Carroll and Boone County. 
Here are the levees that uh, we have so far that have been partial or permanent repairs, but not to prior specifications. They've been repaired to a lesser height with the exceptional Elm Point levee that's been repaired, temporarily repaired, but up to a full height, and that full height does offer the same level of protection as before. So we'll be, need to be calculating rates uh, for those top five levee systems, and then we'll apply them to all the acreage behind that levee system if they're not fully repaired by the earliest plant date. Insureds can still submit written agreements to us on these partial repairs. We'll get that information, so we won't need any written agreement from insureds. But insureds can still submit written agreements to us if uh, the three scenarios that basically that are in the written agreement handbook are if that uh, we've we've identified your cropland as being flooded by the breach levy, but the reality is that it hasn't been. You can submit a written agreement, and we'll evaluate your request. The second thing, if insured disagrees with the high risk rate we assign based on the temporary interim repaired level. Uh, you can submit a written agreement for that and we'll evaluate it. And then finally, if the levy has been repaired uh, after the stated deadlines, meaning after the CLS closing date or after the earliest plant date, but before you plant the crop, then we will consider a written agreement for that. Once you plant the crop, insurance attaches to that acreage. Insurance attaches to that crop. And that's when everything gets kind of locked in stone. Here's a closing slide. It's our ending slide. We've got a frequently asked questions document on our website, www.rma.usda.gov. Uh, we do issue informational memorandums. We, we anticipate issuing um, another one at the end of this week or early next week, but they should be on a weekly basis pretty much from here on out. And those informational memorandums will have the information of these are the levies that we've got recorded as fixed. These are, these are the levies that have not been fixed. <coughs> Um, and again, I've got a, there's a copy back there from Missouri if there's still one available. Uh, then you can certainly call our office anytime. We'll certainly ask questions as you need them. So. Are we questions and answers point? Uh, I think there's a couple more presentations. Yeah, we'll go ahead and get all the presentations and then questions and answers for So that's it. Thank you. <clears throat> My name is Corey Lesher. I'm with the Farm Service Agency here in Atchison County. And I was just going to talk about the available programs we have uh, for the flood recovery of 2019. And first of all, uh, the most immediate deadline we have coming up is on March 15th, which is our regular farm program uh, that you sign up for every year. But with the new farm bill, that was passed in 2018, there's some decisions that need to be made this time around. And on the subject of flood and all the prevent plant we had in 2019, we're really encouraging everybody to look at what we call the ARC individual program uh, that basically sets a guarantee for your operation and with zero revenue, you're, you're guaranteeing yourself a payment for at least one year. Uh, with this farm, sign up this time around you are making a decision for the 2019 and 2020 crop year at the same time so with the outlook of 20 possibly being uh, somewhat wet again arc individual is probably the, the route you might want to heavily look at for at least 2019 um, the second thing that we have and I've dealt with a lot of you guys on this these past few months, but 
It's called the Emergency Conservation Program, and that's basically what we have available uh, cost share wise to help get the land back in shape due to the flood. So, removing sand, cleaning out drainage ditches, cleaning up debris, um, fixing scours, that kind of thing. Our office will pay up to a 75% cost share to assist with that. And the primary thing that you need to keep in mind is that we need, our office needs to do a field visit before you start any work. And I know I've, I've been on a lot of your guys' farms over the past few months. So uh, just keep that in mind. I've, I've had a couple questions. We started doing those field visits uh, late summer. And once we do an approval on those, we have a deadline to complete the work of six months. So those first ones that we looked at last summer, we're coming up on that six-month deadline, and we're tracking that in the office. But we may be contacting you, or if you know you're getting close to those deadlines, just come in and ask for an extension. Uh, we're going to be pretty lenient on giving another six months to get that work completed uh, just because of getting the levees repaired and the soil being saturated for so long out there. So the third thing I wanted to talk about, <clears throat> and you guys know from coming in the office, we use acronyms like crazy, but the, the third thing that we have going on, we call WIP plus, that's the acronym for the program. And it, it covers crop loss uh, due to flood. It does not help with prevent plant, but we're talking about failed acres, reduced yield. Uh, the Secretary of Ag just this last week included a, another cause of loss of excessive moisture. So maybe didn't flood, but was saturated just because of seep water and that kind of thing. That sign up for excessive moisture starts March 23rd. And this program looks at your uh, crop insurance units and indemnities that were paid through crop insurance and possibly will pick up an additional uh, few dollars on each of those units that had losses. Another big program we've had this the last few months uh, was the on-farm storage program losses due to that and <clears throat> as everyone knows we lost a lot of grain out here on the bottom it, that was in grain bins and at FSA we will help compensate for that we're paying 270 a bushel on corn and 637 and a half cents on soybeans. So I think everybody has probably been in on that, but if you haven't, uh, you might want to go ahead and come in. We just we don't need any proof. We're asking you to certify to the number of bushels that were lost and where those bins were located and we will process the payment the very next day. So it's it's pretty quick turnaround. Finally, uh, with the upcoming year, we're not knowing exactly what's going to happen out here on the bottom for 2020. We, we're starting to get a lot of questions about prevent plant already and what do we need to be concerned about or doing with that. And again, we're going to be extremely lenient at the FSA office uh, just because of the levees, although they um, maybe are, are patched but maybe aren't quite up to specs just yet. Um, there's going to be a lot of uncertainty out here on whether or not you're going to want to plant or attempt to plant. So 
what I can say from the FSA standpoint is it's, a, it's extremely important to just make sure you have an accurate crop report with us. That's the one requirement for every program that we have. And with, on the subject of prevent plant, we can't accept a prevent plant claim or request until the final plant date for the crop has passed. So for corn, that's May 25th. Soybeans is June 20th. So just like last year, uh, we may have to wait until those dates come and then we can start accepting the prevent plant claims. But uh, we will be approving all those locally and unless it stays like this and we don't get a single drop of water over the next few months and you're able to plant, which we hope you are able to plant, uh, again, we're going to be pretty leaning on approving those for program purposes. I think that is the five-minute version of what we've got going on at the FSA office right now, so I'll be here for questions and I'll turn it over to the next speaker. Good morning, uh, my name is Brandon Beers. I'm a civil engineer with the uh, Natural Resources Conservation Service. Uh, I'm located in uh, Columbia, Missouri. I'm gonna talk a little bit about our, uh, uh, our primary uh, uh, tool that we have for uh, flood recovery assistance, or recovery assistance, excuse me, um, and that is the Emergency Watershed Protection Program. Uh, before I get started into my presentation here, I, I did wanna recognize Chris Rader. Uh, she is the District Conservationist here for the FOSA. Thanks, Chris. Um, so she's your local point of contact. Um, also need to recognize uh, the program manager for the Emergency Watershed Protection Program, that is Marty Comstock. He's a state engineer, he's my boss. Uh, he couldn't be here, he had prior engagements, so he sent me in his place, so I'll try to do the best I can. Um, if you look at the picture up there on the left side, um, I wanted to highlight this since we're up in this part of, uh, of Missouri. Um, we did an uh, exigency project, which uh, means there's an imminent threat to life and property. Uh, we typically don't have exigencies. Usually we're, we're just uh, doing a, a regular EWP, if you will, recovery assistance. But uh, this particular one uh, did pose an imminent threat. Um, this is up on the Little Tarkio River uh, near the town of Fortescue. Um, maybe you all hope you're familiar with that location. Uh, the levee breach there uh, on the left-hand side of the photo uh, from uh, Missouri River floodwaters. And uh, that breach in that levee then was directing water directly at that uh, second levee there on the right-hand side. Um, they rode that levee away, and uh, we were able to uh, come in with the sponsors' requested assistance. We came in and added a bunch of rock ripper app and uh, built that levee and protected that levee, which in turn saved the town of Fortescue and uh, several farmsteads and, and uh, valuable crop ground as well. So uh, just wanted to highlight that's one of the things that, that we actually did accomplish. Um, Again, my, I'm talking about the EWP program, uh, Emergency Watershed Protection Program. I'll, I'll commonly, the recovery assistance that we offer, um, I'll refer to that as the EWP program. So sorry for the, all the acronyms. Like Corey said, we have a lot of them in the federal government. But uh, uh, the EWP program, the recovery assistance program, um, is our primary, as I said earlier, primary uh, uh, recovery assistance program. Um, it can be activated in uh, for natural disasters of several types, including earthquakes, windstorms, drought, fire, tornadoes, and of course the reason we're all here, floods. 
Um, that uh, particular program uh, has to be uh, uh, conducted through a sponsor. We cannot work directly with the landowner on the EWP program. So um, you'll have to get a sponsor to help you out if you, if you have a uh, uh, need for repairs. Uh, on the other hand of that, the floodplain easements program, though we do work directly with the sponsor, or excuse me, with the landowner on those programs. Um, I'll go into a little more detail about the floodplain easement program later. Primarily, I'm gonna uh, focus on the recovery assistance or the EWP program at this time. Um, of course, the recovery measures must reduce threats to life or property. Um, and they must be economically, environmentally, and socially defensible. I'll go into a little more detail about that later. And as I've already said, recovery assistance must be through eligible project sponsors. Uh, your typical repairs include with flood recovery, uh, of course, levy repair. They have to be non-federal, non-U.S. Army Corps of Engineer eligible levies or non-FEMA uh, levies. Uh, we can also do uh, sediment removal from drainage ditches, uh, from, from primary ditches, not they have to drain more than one property. They can't just drain your property. Um, we can do stream bank stabilization, as I pointed out there at Fortescue, uh, near roads, bridges, and buildings. Usually we can't just do stream bank stabilization on the, a location on the river. There usually has to be some other in infrastructure in place that we're trying to help protect. Uh, the reason being we have to uh, have the economically viable project. Our benefits uh, must outweigh the cost of the, of the repairs. So. That's why we usually have to have a bridge or a road or something uh, near the stream to help protect. And then also we can do uh, log jam removal from channels, either natural or, or constructed channels. Um, eligible sponsors include uh, state governments, cities, towns, municipal authorities. Uh, primarily the ones that we're working with are gonna be the drainage and levy districts and the uh, county, county commissioners. Um, sponsor responsibilities, including making applications for EWP assistance. Uh, typically, that happens within 60 days of a disaster being declared. Um, last year's flood lasted forever, as you all are certainly aware. Um, I think finally they determined that the flood was completed in the middle of December, I think. So we have waived that 60-day time period because uh, the flooding lasted so long and uh, we just couldn't even get out to see the sites. So. Um, the sponsor has to obtain the land rights, uh, secure any permits that are needed, provide, des provide design services, and we have optional there in parentheses. Um, on smaller, uh, less involved projects, NRCS will help provide design services, but uh, on the larger dollar value ones, we ask that the sponsors provide that design service. Yes, Chris? Can they still put in requests for assistance now? Yes, I was going to get to that. Um, we are still accepting late requests for assistance. Um, because, like I said, we've just now got done with flooding, so um, yeah, we're still taking applications. Um, minister local contracts for repairs, so the sponsor's going to have to secure a contractor through bidding process, or they can use their own forces. And then, uh, as with all government programs, it seems, we have a, a, a cost share uh, portion that uh, the sponsor must contribute at least 25% toward the project, and NRCS covers the 75%. <laughs> And then complete the post uh, project operation and maintenance. So. Eligible measures, again, they must reduce threat to life or property, provide protection from additional <coughs> flooding or erosion, remove debris that affects runoff or erosion, restore hydraulic capacity channels, cleaning out channels, uh, disposal of animal carcasses when carcasses meet the definition of debris. I think maybe Nebraska did some of this. I don't know that we've ever done any of that. Uh, repair of damaged uh, watershed structures, flood control structures that NRCS has put in over the years. 
And again, they must be economically, socially, and environmentally defensible and technically sound. Again, I highlighted on that the benefits must outweigh the costs. That's the economic part of that. Environmentally defensible, um, we have to check to make sure there aren't any, for example, threatened endangered species. We're not going to put in a recovery measure that's going to impact those uh, species. And technically sound, um, we can't just throw, in, in the instance of a levy repair, let's say, we can't just put the uh, levy right back on the bank. We need to have a setback so that we have, have some uh, buffer there so that we won't lose a levy again, hopefully. Non-eligible measures, we can't provide assistance on federal lands, federal highways. Uh, we cannot repair the same structure more than two times in 10 years. Um, performing normal O&M activities, uh, we're, we're doing a lot of uh, sediment removal. Um, if that sediment was deposited there just over years from, from erosion or whatever, um, we, can't, we can't cost you on that. If it was deposited there by the flood, though, we certainly can. So, um, Correcting pre-disaster damage, I just uh, hit on that point. And repairing transportation facilities. I can't repair roads, bridges, etc. We can protect, but we can't repair. And then uh, repairing levees on channels with more than 400 square miles of drainage area or systems in the uh, uh, U.S. Army Corps of Engineers, or Corps of Engineers program. Excuse me. Um, we did get a waiver on this. We can assist for uh, on levees that are greater than that 400 square mile drainage for the 2019 flood. And of course, we can't incre increase capacity or protection level. We can't. Uh, uh, dig the ditch out deeper and wider. We can't raise the levee higher than it was before. So, uh, performance time, um, the exigent situations like the one in Fortescue, uh, loss of life or property is imminent. Uh, and we do go through an expedi expedited application and approval process. We have a whole 10 days to complete the work from funding. Non exigent, which is the majority of what our work is, uh, the, the threat to life and property is not imminent. And we have 220 days to complete the work from once the funding is secured. A little bit of a kind of a step-by-step -step here, the EWP assistance process. Uh, of course, we have to have the uh, uh, de disaster declaration and the emergency watershed protection program is activated. Uh, we will coordinate with FEMA and other partners to see who's going to be the responsible party for assisting. And then uh, if it's determined it's NRCS, uh, the sponsor uh, makes a request. As Chris highlighted, we are still accepting late requests. <coughs> Excuse me. Um, to date, um, from the 2019 flood, we've received 132 requests for assistance. Um, and then we'll go out, NRCS will go out and do a damage survey report. Um, that uh, is a report to assess the damage, obviously, and what uh, we think it's going to take to repair that damage, how much property and, and, and everything that's impacted by this, uh, this damage. Um, to date, we have approved and funded 128 DSRs. Um, and then, of course, funding is allocated for the DSR um, through Washington, D.C., um, and we're almost at uh, $35 million in improved funding at this point. We're expecting about another 30 DSRs because, as I've said before, we haven't quite got through all the flooding yet, so we can't access the sites. Um, we're expecting approximately $3 million extra dollars uh, requests for that. So. And then, of course, we have the cooperative agreement with the sponsor, which we are actively diligently working on those as we speak. Um, the sponsor has to get plans, permits, and the land rights approved. Of course, then you hire your contractor, the work is completed, and then the sponsor is reimbursed for those, for those costs. So that's kind of where we're at. We do have a few agreements in place now. We have had some work uh, being completed or at least started um, in some of our uh, earlier counties that we were able to access. So. Now, I, I said that was the recovery program that we have to do through a sponsor. 
Now I'm going to talk about the floodplain easements that we can do with the individual landowner. Of course, a uh, floodplain easement is a voluntary perpetual easement. It's an easement that's forever. It's purchased by the federal government and held by USDA, and the landowner gets a one-time easement payment. Uh, the landowner still retains fee title and rights to the ground. Um, just because it has a public easement on it doesn't mean the public is, can have access to it. Um, but you're basically limited to recreational use of the land. can't develop it. Obviously, can't plant crops on it for profit. Um, basically, it's just there for rec ground. Um, eligible land or floodplain lands damaged by flooding once in the previous calendar year or floodplain lands damaged by flooding twice in the previous 10 years and the land must be privately owned or through a state or local government. Restoration of floodplain easements will include all the necessary conservation practices required to restore the floodplain functions of the site so we want to let it interact again with the river you know we tie it all back knock, take down the levee in certain places and, and, and let it interact with the river and then uh, NRCS may pay up to 100% of that restoration cost. Um, landowners receive the lowest of one of the three values for their ground. Um, fair market value, uh, corresponding geographical rate established by NRCS, and then an offer made by the landowner. One, the lesser of those three is what we'll accept. And uh, that's all I have. I do have a couple of handouts up here that you can come and get later if you're interested in either one of the programs. And uh, thank you.